Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia, and I am so glad you're here. I am a 20-something in my early 20s, and I was going through my fair share of shit show moments, and I'm sure there's more shit show moments to come. So much fun. But it's while I was going through these moments, I was realizing I'm probably not the only 20-something who feels this way. So I decided to start this podcast back in 2020, and it's been incredible. And I love interviewing these inspiring people. And I hope that through these stories, you're able to see yourself in these stories. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you would share it with a friend, as well as leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. I put so much time and energy into this podcast and it would mean the world to me. So without further ado, let's get started. Today's guest is Emma. I love chatting with her. Emma is a DIY content creator, public speaker, and director of social media brand DIY with Emma, whose primary mission is to help more people get into DIY by sharing DIY hacks, how-tos, and follow-along projects. Through her social media channels, she shows that DIY and home renovation doesn't need to be scary. She believes that DIY can change lives through helping people build a sense of personal agency and develop problem-solving skills. Making mistakes is a normal part of the learning process. You can start where you feel comfortable and build your confidence from there. Her scope is to educate, inspire, and entertain through the creation of easy-to-digest content, including short and long-form videos and written content that has been viewed over a hundred million times in countries across the world. Her motto is DIY for everyone. Follow DIY with Emma on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. In this episode, we go into so many incredible things from her journey into DIY, what her first project was like, where she recommends is a good starting place for anyone who wants to go into DIY, how she knew she always wanted to be an entrepreneur, how she was losing part of herself in corporate, and what the rebuilding process was like for her, and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Emma, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. So I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments you aren't resonating with. Let's start there. Yeah, it's funny because um, when you start to think about what the shit show moments are and you find yourself moving on to page two, you're like, oh, this, <laughs> this really has been a bit of a shit show. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing how much can happen over the course of a decade. And uh, I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently. I just went to a focus group this morning about how to get more people in my local area into entrepreneurship. And so it got me thinking a little bit about some of the things that have happened in my own journey. So I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Ever since I was 13 and I discovered what the word meant, we had like this class and we were all given jobs and I was an entrepreneur. And so I put my hand up and I said, what does this, what does this word mean? What is this? And so I've kind of always had that as an aspiration, but I went to uni and then I came out of uni in 2009. And of course, 2009 was just after the financial crisis and there was no jobs. And I found myself in quite a strange situation that I would have had a better chance getting a job before I went to university than when I graduated, which is such a strange dichotomy. And so I actually, I started a business out of university, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I had no business skills whatsoever. 
And so it was kind of more of a hobby, like I did it alongside my job. You know, I made it into some shops and things like that with what I was selling. It was like textile homewares. And I did that for about five or six years, just kind of learning on the job. And I did get a lot out of that, learning how to fill in a tax return, for example, and all that other boring stuff. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it was always really just a hobby. And uh, I worked during that time in sort of corporate environments. And, you know, this was kind of where my list started when I was thinking about shit show moments, because I... I think often about one of my first proper jobs that I had outside of uni, working for a company where I worked for some really horrible managers. And I had a two year period of being bullied by senior management. And, um, you know, when you're sort of new to an organization and you're quite new to the workforce, I think you don't always have a good awareness of what you should and shouldn't tolerate in the workplace. And so I went through what was probably my two hardest years, sort of in my early 20s, about 22, 23, working for this company. And what made it a bit more challenging is at the point that I started having this really difficult interaction with these senior managers, I found out that I had cancer. And you know, dealing with cancer as a young person as well is it's challenging for anybody. But I think there's something about serious illness that we as a society think that it happens to people who are older. And then when you're 25 and you're sat in that office and they say, I'm really sorry, you know, you've got cancer. It's really shocking. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm having to I'm being pressured to like return to work a day after my operation because I have this difficulty with senior management. And, you know, I couldn't tell anybody about it because I was worried that I would lose my job and I've no idea how founded that was but that's how you feel when you feel so vulnerable in a position like that and you know these years working in these difficult environments really can affect your self-esteem like you can really start to believe the things that you're being told and you know even after I moved out of that team to a different place I still had such low self-esteem for a really long time and it wasn't really until I left the corporate environment altogether two years ago that I really started to find myself again you know I feel like I really lost myself in those jobs and uh, had to constantly kind of compromise myself a little bit to fit into a mold of what was expected within a corporate environment and I didn't really fit the mold in many ways you know I'm dyslexic so I have you know a a learning difficulty and uh, I'm a queer woman and that doesn't quite fit and you know I'm, I'm very feminine for want of a better term in the way that I lead so I didn't quite have the you know assertive kind of bossy way of leading that they they wanted and they were used to in these environments and so I kind of never really was progressing and I always felt like it was a constant glass ceiling through my entire career and so when I finally left I decided to sort of have a crack at doing the social media I joined in 2020 on TikTok I'd been on other social media platforms but I was making videos they weren't all that popular on the platforms at the time so I joined TikTok because that was where videos were short form videos anyway, and just found that it really landed very well with people on there. And I started to get a bit of a following. And when I realized that I had just a tiny bit of a following, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to leave my job. I've got six months worth of savings. I will find a way to make this work because there must be something better than these jobs that I've been doing because I don't feel good about them. I need something new. So that's kind of like the journey up until the point at which that I left to join social media and to do what I'm doing now. Wow, so many good points I want to go into. And I guess where I start is like having like your self-esteem kind of like taken down by like these managers and going through that experience. What did you do afterwards to like rebuild yourself and make sure you were able to like separate yourself from those past experiences? That is such a good question. So I actually 
this is really relevant to what I do in the DIY space because it's all about finding easy to access ways to build your confidence. So for example, maybe I would put up a post on LinkedIn and I would fret about every single word that I put in there because I'm like, oh, my former employers are going to read this and they're going to be, you know, judging this and they're going to have a go at me for that. And, you know, all of this was real because I was I was living in that environment for such a long time where everything I did was critiqued and constantly on tape, like on tenterhooks, just walking on eggshells all the time. And then, you know, just working out a little bit more trusting my intuition. So that was quite an important thing for me is that I didn't have a very good internal like alarm system. Like I didn't really know when I wanted to say no to something until I'd already said yes. And I'm like, oh, I feel bad about saying yes to that. I wanted to say no, but I didn't realize until afterwards. So it kind of like every experience was an opportunity to learn better how to trust my internal intuition or my internal alarm systems. And so I think it took quite a long time to rebuild back up that confidence. But it really was about those small things going, actually, I'd like to do something like this and then testing out and going, that was actually okay. I feel safe to try something a little bit harder. And that's the entire premise of DIY, because DIY as a topic is something that you can try a little bit of that you feel comfortable with and go, oh, I've been able to prove to myself that I can do this. What else can I do? And then that's how you slowly build your confidence and your competency. And it's why I so often say to people, I do DIY. That is like the theme of what I do. But it's actually nothing about DIY at all. It's about helping people to build a sense of personal autonomy to feel like they are the custodians of their own life. Because I think I realized actually quite late on that if you don't have a plan for your life, someone else will make a plan for you. And you'll find that you're living someone else's demands and you're doing nothing for yourself. And you might, like me, have a very bad idea about what you even do like when you get to the other side of that people might say well what do you want to do and you're like I've got no no idea like I've spent all this time serving other people that I honestly couldn't tell you what I like for myself and what I enjoy and what I want to do so I think the answer to the question is to test out small easy safe ways to slowly build confidence it doesn't have to be all at once and it, it snowballs once you start doing that a little bit it's amazing how quickly you can sort of turn things around Hmm. It's so interesting, the correlation between DIY and confidence. And it seems like it's kind of like a layer thing, right? Like you don't have to figure out all the layers right away. You could start with the first layer of I just want to do this one thing, see how it goes. And then you can move on to the next layer and then the next layer and then the next layer of what that looks like. And while you were at the job, did you know that you had like this love and this passion for DIY? Or like, how did you start to like get into the DIY space? Yeah, another really great question. So I did clothing technology when I was at university. So I kind of had this base understanding and this base education in a very creative subject. And I sort of learned through that how to put materials together. And so it's quite similar when it comes to building things and putting things together and working and problem solving. So I was always very interested. I've always been a very creative individual. I think, you know, that comes a little bit from being dyslexic. You know, dyslexic people are known for having quite creative ways of thinking. And I was actually sat with a friend 
on her honeymoon <laughs> in Australia in a hot tub. And, you know, I was on I was on her honeymoon, so her to-be partner wasn't there. And that's a story for a different time. But I was instead on her honeymoon with her. And we were sat in the hot tub and talking about basically what did we want from life. And I said, you know, I'm just not happy at what I'm doing. I'm just not headed the right way. I'm not making the progress that I want to see. And really, I kind of just want to spend all, t- all my time at home doing my house up and showing people what I'm doing. And that was probably the first time that I ever said out loud what I really wanted to do. And I think when people, like I sometimes do coaching with people, and when you can get them to say what they really want, they always say it with a caveat, like, I mean, I could never do this for a job, but what I'd really love to do is. And for the most part, it's not always easy to see at the start what that could be turned into. So I obviously never thought that I could find a job where I could be at home DIYing all day, doing my house up. That would also add value to people and would therefore bring in some money. But somehow I found it. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I didn't I did not think for a second I'd actually be able to do a job that I like. I thought work was supposed to be hard. I thought it was supposed to be difficult. You know, people always say, you know, they sort of like cliches about working hard and no pain no gain and I don't believe that anymore at all I think that work is supposed to be enjoyable you know it's always going to have its challenges at different times I think that's normal but you know I am excited about those challenges now when stuff is difficult I'm like oh this is interesting I have an opportunity to learn something new here and uh, that wasn't the case before (laughs) it was always just just hard and so uh, I've I've lost a track of your original question but I think uh, the point was when I sat in that hot tub, that's when I realized that that's what I wanted to do. And also, like, going back to when you're trying to, like, coach people and figure out, like, what they want and they really do, what else do you ask them to kind of, like, figure out, like, what is the thing they actually want? I, th- I like to ask them, I ask them that if money was no problem question, like, just imagine, you know, you've won the lottery tomorrow, how would you choose to spend your time? And I like asking that question that way because it doesn't actually focus on work. It's, you know, you wake up in the morning, what do you choose to do? And I think that question helps people sometimes to, because more often than not, the answer is, oh, I've got no idea what I would do because I, I have to do, I, I have to do X, Y, and Z. So it's never occurred to me that I could choose how my day, you know, some people might say, well, I don't really want to go to a a work a paid job at all I actually I feel really passionate about volunteering and I really want to help out this community do this particular thing and you know I don't think there are many people who would say oh if I won the lottery tomorrow I would sit in bed all day and do nothing forever because you know everyone needs rest and that's possibly what they need but after a period of time of resting you probably find that there's something that they would love to do and it's going to be something that would actually add value to society in such a great way because they're so passionate about it and they're interested in it they're naturally very good at it and then everyone's kind of winning I don't know if that makes sense but if people were able to pursue their interests and the things that they're good at and be able to be helped to find a way that that could benefit society as well I feel like everybody would be a lot happier Mm -hmm. and I kind of wanted to go back to like when you were in that corporate job and you realized like you were compromising parts of yourself in that job like did you realize that in the moment or was it something once you were like away from it you were able to realize it and like did you have like an intuitive hit or like how that kind of unfold for you I think both because I might not have known on a a cognitive level but my body knew and now that I'm a lot more in tune with how I feel about things, I follow my 
what my body's telling me and my intuition a lot more closely. So now if something's happening and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling something, something here isn't right. Uh, and I get to the bottom of that, I could be like, oh, I'm feeling really anxious that that person's asked me to call them because of whatever reason. I'll ask them if I could send an email immediately. I'm then not anxious anymore because, you know, I've resolved the, but, you know, at the time I always felt, it always felt bad. It always felt off because, you know, the, the kind of experience that I had was that they'd say, oh, well, you know, you haven't met the criteria for promotion this year, but if you kind of just change this, this, and this about yourself, then you'll be a great candidate. And so I would change this, this, and this, and I'd get to the end of the year and they'd say, "Mm, well, yeah, it's just, um, actually, could you also change this, this, and this? And it would be things that were really superficial. And I think it was like, they were always just really bad reasons for not promoting someone. And, you know, I think in some of the places that I worked, there was just a bit of cultural bias that meant that it wasn't really about me. It was just that what I was offering, I wasn't a good fit for the company at all. I wouldn't have been able to change myself to mold myself into who they wanted to be because my face just didn't fit. And um, so I think really more so afterwards and after I'd left these organizations that I found myself going, oh, like, (laughs) okay, yeah, some of that wasn't good. And, you know, it's easy for people to give themselves a hard time when they've come out of any sort of relationship, perhaps with an intimate partner, perhaps with an employer, perhaps with a parent where they're like, oh, I've I've only just now realized that I tolerated some really awful treatment there. And people can really beat themselves up for it for not knowing. But you don't always know when you're in that situation. And, you know, it's a, it can be a different, a difficult thing to get through afterwards because you're sort of dealing with the grief of lost time or you're dealing with you know the the loss of yourself sometimes and uh, just maybe also just the frustration that you know you had fallen into a situation that wasn't very good for you but you know I think like you know you you can't always tell and you know it's not people's fault if they uh, either don't realize or are not able to sort of change their situation very quickly because it's exceptionally hard sometimes to change to change everything you know, we're creatures that don't like change very off very much. And uh, it's certainly doable, but it does, it can take quite a lot of courage, I think. Mm-hmm. And did you feel that frustration of lost time and that frustration of like staying there longer than you wanted to? Did you feel like that happened? Like, did you feel that come up for you afterwards at all? Yeah. And if you did, I, what did you do to like combat that frustration? Uh, another really good question. So I, I would say both yes and no, because I I do have that sense of being like, oh, you know, I've always known I want to be an entrepreneur. Why didn't I do this sooner? And all of those sort of questions. But it's for me, it's a real sliding doors thing. Like if you're familiar with the sliding doors film, you know, just anyone who isn't just talks about two different scenarios that someone's life could go in at any particular moment. And for me, I feel like if I'd have done anything different, my life would it would be different in some way and I quite like what it is now so I kind of don't wish for anything to be different per se but you know I I certainly don't believe in the whole what doesn't kill you makes you stronger I think sometimes you could just do without having hardship (laughs) so you know I think you can still be strong without having to have suffered so I'm sort of grateful for my experiences and you know some of them were very challenging but I think I wouldn't like to have changed anything I guess 
you know, thinking about how do I come down from that? It's a good question. I've had quite a lot of therapy. <laughs> I think that helped. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, the, love a bit of therapy. So that's really helpful to sort of, you know, to really reflect on those feelings. And I guess sort of partly what I've said, these experiences have now been incorporated into who I am. They are things that have happened to me, but I don't feel bad about them anymore because they have been, you know, safely and comfortably integrated into my personality through getting professional help with a therapist so I think that's part of it you know and that's handy if people are able to sort of access those services but also I think I just feel really grateful for where I am now so I'm kind of glad that you know whatever difficulties did happen have led me to where I am now yeah and it's such an interesting question because it's something I think about too like the frustration of time being lost or the frustration of like you know, going through certain experiences and being like, if I would have took this path instead, like it could have been better. So I always wonder about like that frustration that happens afterwards. Mm, I do. So actually something that might be worth sharing on that is one of the things that I talk about a lot in coaching is how it can be so difficult to make decisions when you want to make the right choice. You know, it's like, well, if I just spent a bit longer thinking about this, I'd make the right choice because making wrong choices is bad. It makes me a bad decision maker and it makes me a fool for not knowing. And I really do believe in that saying of, you know, you make the best decision that you can at the time with the information that you have. And any decisions that I've ever made in the past, I thank my previous self for making the best decision that they could at the time. And I do that now. I'm like, I'm going to make a choice. I don't know if it's the right one. But I trust my future self to be able to sort this out because I believe she can do that. <laughs> mm, I love that. I trust my future self to be able to sort this out. Mm, it's beautiful. And going back to like with like DIY projects, like how did you start off? Because I feel like another thing with DIY is like there's like the fear of like doing the project wrong, maybe taking like too big of a project and like how do I finish it all? Like how do you kind of ease into like doing DIY projects? I wanted to put up a shelf and this was probably my first ever project that I did. And I went to the shop and I bought a drill and I came back home and I just remember so vividly just taking it out of the box and it was really heavy. And I was like, oh my God, if anyone could see me now, I'd be so embarrassed because I'm holding a drill and look at me acting all like I could do DIY, you know, <laughs> like I feel like people would find this scene funny uh, and the drill was heavier than I expected. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to have the strength to like drill it into the wall, which actually I find quite often to be a challenge for women in particular, but anybody with, you know, not like really strong muscle mass. It's quite hard to, <laughs> to use the drills if you're not practiced. But this, you know, I was going to put this shelf up and the task that I set myself was I will see how far I get putting this shelf up and then I will get someone to come and help me finish it and fortunately this was at a time that YouTube was already available to me and so I went onto YouTube and I searched how to put up a shelf and you know it said uh, you've got to make sure that the wall doesn't have any wires in it and I'm like oh I don't know how to do that so I googled how to do that and then it said oh you have to drill in with a with a masonry bit on your drill and I'm like I've got no idea what that is so I went and googled that as well so you know so something that's actually quite a simple job on the face of it has quite a lot of learning experience before you can even start the job and step by step I went through all of these different steps that are required in the activity of putting up a shelf and at one point, I realized that it was done. Like, and it came as quite a shock because I was like, oh, there's no more steps. Oh, it's done. Oh, I put it up. I put it up completely. And it was just like, you know, it, it changed my whole mindset. And this is kind of the 
transformational experience that I always hope that people will have when they come and they view uh, my videos, which is like, if you've ever heard of uh, CBT, like the cognitive behavioral therapy, which just talks about how like your behaviors and your thoughts and your actions are all linked. So like your thought might be, oh, I'm, I'm bad at DIY. I could never do that. So, you know, your your behaviours and your actions are that you don't try it. And then that confirms your thought that you can't do it. Because you're like, oh, well, I, I thought I couldn't do it. And then I haven't done it. So I can't do it. <laughs> and then when you do something and you achieve it, you go, oh, I think I can do it. What else can I do? And then that changes your behaviour because you're like, oh, well, I know that I can do that. So I feel confident enough to have a little go at something a bit harder. And it's that kind of like staged improvement that I think helps a lot of people in DIY, but in anything, because it's applicable to any part of your life. Any, you know, I had a conversation once with a friend and I said, oh, I've just I've got to have a really difficult conversation with a client and I'm really nervous about it. And I don't think the conversation's going to go well because I've not done it before. And she just laughed at my face. <laughs> and that's, that's when you know you've got a good friend when they just laugh in your face when you come to them for advice. And she said, like, you don't even can you not even see what's happening here? I'm like, no, what? what what's happening here? And she said, these are all all of the same things that you do for your DIY community. People tell you, I've not done this before. It's going to go badly. I can't do it. And when she helped me realize I could apply the exact same format that I do for my DIY education to this thing that I found difficult, it then became very easy. And I was like, oh, no, of course I can do it. I might not have done it before. That doesn't mean that I can't do it doesn't mean I can't take it step by step, you know, and it's fine for stuff to go wrong. Making mistakes is a really normal part of trying something new. And it's a huge part of what I try and communicate in the education that I do. I show things that I do wrong intentionally. I say, I did this today. I haven't done it before. Or maybe I have done it before. And I made this mistake. Even though I'm experienced, I still made this mistake. And I'm showing it to you because I want you to know that this is a normal part of learning. It's not shown on social media. Therefore, it's completely logical that somebody watching that would assume that you start something, you try it for the first time, and you become an immediate expert and there's nothing in between <laughs> because none of that gets showed. So had that really transformational conversation with my friend and she pointed out that I could do these things. And if it didn't go right first time, that's actually OK, because I'll work it out. I can figure it out. It's not going to be a problem. That's so cool. That's a framework that you can use and implement in different parts of your life. And I like that you show the mistakes too, right? Because usually we see someone who does it like perfectly. So that's nice that we get to see like, oh, like there's actually like human error here. Like there's actually like a process of getting to that point. And like for someone who wants to like start off in DIY, what's like a good like starting project? Mm. Quite often painting it. So painting and decorating is the... Well, this is actually a study that was done in the UK, but I'm going to assume that it's probably relevant to the rest of the world as well. But painting and decorating is the DIY that most people feel that they could have a go at. And so that's really a great place to start. Like if someone's looking to redecorate a space, practicing painting and decorating, you know, can be, you know, you could start with walls and then you could move on to woodwork because they might be different types of paints. And so they might need slightly different skills or materials. And then something like putting up shelves or learning how to hang things is another really common skill that people find useful. And it's also quite achievable as well. So that can be a really good place to start. And I think anything centered around home maintenance as well, because even if somebody doesn't own a house, perhaps they rent somewhere, there's still a certain amount of maintenance that people need to be able to successfully maintain the space that they live. And so learning anything about 
you know, what happens if you need to turn off your water to the house or, you know, because like if there was a leak, how would you know how to do that? So some of those things, even if you don't need to use them, I think add a lot to a person's sense of confidence and competence just knowing that if a water pipe burst, you would know how to switch off the water so there wasn't a flood can be really empowering and really, really help you feel safe where you're living. Mm -hmm. And do you have like a favorite project that you've done so far? (laughs) I like them all. I like them all. I do have some favorites. I liked a basement project that I did. So in the bottom of my house, it's a Victorian house. So it's built around 1880. And these houses were just built on soil. <laughs> they, they don't have very deep foundations. Uh, it's amazing they're still standing. But this basement area that I had, it kind of used to be a coal cellar. It would have been somewhere that the coal was shoved down into from the front of the house, you know, decades and decades ago. But it was just a muddy area that was dark. And I transformed that into a livable room, a usable room rather than livable, because you couldn't actually use it as a room. There's no exits, but one exit. There needs to be windows for you to have it as a room, basically. And so now it's a storage area. And so, you know, I had made it waterproof and I'd laid concrete and, you know, leveled the floor and I'd plastered for the first time and I added a radiator and I built some cupboards. And so there was a whole set of skills that I hadn't done before. And because of that, the project took me a really long time because there were so many new skills that would take a little bit longer to learn. But I did it and then it was finished. And now I've got an extra room in my house that's kind of been built from nothing. So that one I found quite rewarding for my sort of personal sense of skill building. And I would say the runner up, the best project has to be my hallway project so I decided that I would add a runner to my stairs so just you know a a basic middle runner that goes up the middle of the stairs and there were lots of people who work in the trade of laying carpets and laying stair runners who didn't want to see me succeed and I did obviously (laughs) and um, (laughs) it's it's really satisfying when you know people are rooting for you to fail to work through that and I like that project not just for my own sense of well you thought I'd do badly and I didn't so nah 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 but also you know I'm just I'm just a real big kid it's also I want my audience to see how you can have people coming at you left right and center with you're not good enough you'll never be able to do this you're using the wrong tools, you should be embarrassed. And you know, these are the softer things they say, because it's actually kind of mind blowing what people say to you on social media. Yeah, it's really quite incredible. I I knew it would be bad. I didn't quite expect some of the things people say is just unbelievable. Um, But you know, I want people to see that you can have all of that, and it not be a problem. That's not to say that this it doesn't affect me because it does. I think when people on mass are really mean to you on social media, you know, it makes sense that it hurts your feelings because we're human. But it doesn't need to stop you from doing DIY or anything else. And it's especially important for me for anybody who has been brought up to believe that DIY isn't for them to see that it isn't actually decided by other people whether or not DIY is for you. It's decided by you. If you like DIY and you want to try it, DIY is therefore for you. And in particular, you know, my content's international. So I'm on TikTok, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Instagram, Pinterest, and it gets seen in countries all around the world. And there are places 
if not even just politics, it's the, it's the UK as well, but there are people for whom the idea that I, as a woman, can be doing DIY is really alien. And so to them, it's outrageous that I could be doing DIY because it really clashes with their personal value system, perhaps the culture of their local group where they live or even their country or anything like that. And so I, me existing is quite threatening to some people. And so I want to show people that it's okay for DIY to be for you, even if you've been told it's not. Hmm. I love that you're able to prove them wrong and be like, no, like, look at it. I'm done. <laughs> I was able to figure it out. That's so awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it is so good. It is so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, what tip would you give to someone who maybe like they want to start creating content? Like they really love content creators. They don't wear, know where to start and they are just like, I really know I need to do this, but I don't know how this is all going to come together for me. I would say probably some of the key things that I learned starting off in posting to social media were... So as I mentioned, I started on TikTok in 2020, but I'd been posting on Instagram for two years before that. And I was just trying out different things and, you know, nothing was really working. I didn't seem to fit within the cliques on, on Instagram. Like I wasn't really in the crowd because my house was just being done up. I was renovating, whereas all of the accounts that I saw on Instagram were finished houses that were really beautiful. And I was like, I'm like the girl with the ugly house and you've got the pretty houses and there just wasn't really any crossover between the two. There is a lot more now, I think, but certainly then they're just, it was quite cliquey, I found. But the reason why that was important, because even though I wasn't successful at that time on Instagram, it meant that when I started on TikTok, I had two years worth of content that I had been posting on Instagram. And so I just took that and I was able to post once or twice a day for months and I would just see what worked. One of the good things about social media, what one of the good things about social media is also one of the bad things. You know how I was saying people say mean things. People tell you what they think. They also tell you what they think about good things. So they'll be like, I love this video. This was really helpful. What tool did you use there? Could you show me how to do X? And so your audience will just tell you what they want, which takes all of the thinking out of it. So, you know, they say, can you do a video on X? And I'm like, yeah, I can do a video on X. And so I would say just going in and testing out different pieces of content that feel good to you. I think you do need to create for yourself first and then seeing what also resonates with other people and focusing on that for a little bit. Like if you know, I realized that doing how-to videos seemed to be very popular. People found them very helpful. So I did more. And one day I put up a DIY hack that I thought might help people. And this was painting a spindle on your stairs with a sock. So, you know, just put a glove on, put on an old sock, dip into the paint, and it helps you get onto all of the nooks and crannies really so much easier than a brush. And then, you know, once you've coated it, you can just quickly up and down with a brush just to make sure there's no drips. But it saves so much time getting in all of the, the bits. And, you know, I'd posted this video at about 11 o'clock at night and then went to bed because I thought I should just put some content up. I've had quite a quiet week. And then I woke up to it having gone viral. It was my first properly viral video. And at first I was worried because I opened the app and I had like 400 comments and, you know, thousands of new followers. And I'm like, what happened? Did I like accidentally show my bum in the video that was my first worry I was like did I forget to get dressed it's like when you have those dreams that you've forgotten to get dressed and you're at the supermarket that's what it was like so you know I uh then realized that these DIY hacks were helpful as well so I had my DIY hacks I had my how-tos and then a bit later on 
I started to show people day to day what I was doing. And so I made these follow along projects that would just show people every day. And, you know, whenever I showed someone a mistake I'd made, they'd be like, oh, my goodness, I thought that was just me because I was really inexperienced. But you do it, too. So that's good to know, because you're much better than me in their perspective. So it felt like we felt closer, I think, after I was able to share with them some of the mistakes. So that's kind of like how what started my first videos were time lapses. So I just do time lapses of whatever I was doing that day. And then it transformed from that into these three distinct areas that I now cover. But I would never have known to just jump into that. It had to start with the time lapses so that it could evolve. So I think just start, start anywhere. You've got to just start and then just see if you can try and get some feedback from the audience to see where you're going to go. And uh, I always think once you've started and got up and running a little bit, changing the focus to be audience focused. So if you were going to come past a video or a piece of content, why should somebody stop on your content? What value does it bring to their life? What's in it for them? You know, I, I only want to put up content that is going to be entertaining or is going to be inspiring or is going to be educational. There has to be a reason for it for me. And so that's a really good way as well to sort of get up and running is to think about what could I give to others that will make them want to watch my video? Hmm. That's so interesting. You used a sock to paint the stairs. Like I'm just imagining that as well. Because I've never heard of that either. It's really handy. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> so awesome. And have you ever had like a point in like posting that you kind of got tired? Maybe you lost motivation to post. Maybe you're not feeling as drawn to post. Have you ever hit a point like that in your posting? Yeah, like a few times a day, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's really, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Content creation, I think, does come with a lot of cases of burnout because you do kind of get sucked into the treadmill where you're like, I just keep running for a bit and then I'll get off. And then for some reason you can't get off and you have to just keep going. And, you know, there is the case that the platforms do like consistency and the audiences like consistency they like to know that your stuff's going to be coming up and so it does make it sometimes a bit challenging to take breaks but I when I find that I'm getting a little bit uh, fed up I use that as an opportunity to talk about that experience as well because that's normal when you're renovating to do it for a really long time be really enjoying it and be like do you know what I cannot stand this renovation if I have to paint another wall I'm gonna go nuts <laughs> you, know, like, you just and I think a lot of people renovating a house reach that point at some point in their renovation and so that in of itself talking about that true experience um, I think people find relatable and you know I like to be the role model that I wish that I had which is to say taking breaks is not only okay, it's essential. And you know how they say, take a break or your body will do it for you at a time that might not be convenient. So I want to demonstrate to people what it is like taking a break. And it's not actually something I'm very good at, I must be honest. It's a skill that I've had to learn. <laughs> I'm better at other things. I've not, not always been that good at, uh, at taking restful breaks, but I'm getting better. And when I do, I say, I say I'm going on holiday soon. And so a lot of my coverage of, at that point will be about the importance of taking breaks, of taking rest, of the fact that it's normal to just get super fed up of a project that's very long. And once you've recuperated, you find yourself naturally feeling more inspired by it again. And it comes back around. So. Hmm. And what's something that you're learning right now? It could be any area of your life. Oh, something I'm learning. Oh, <laughs> I'm learning all the time. I would say... 
I mean, I feel like what we've just touched on feels super relevant to me. I'm le- I'm learning how to rest. I'm learning how to take proper breaks. You know, I've always been an overachiever, as you can imagine, that uh, worked quite well for the organizations I worked for. But it did mean that I was really burnt out when I left. So that was another thing that I was dealing with when I left is not just this like recuperation of my my soul and my self-esteem. It was I was so burnt out that you know, I had to really work on improving my physical health as well, because it really manifested in in that. So I'm learning how to do that. And I do think it is a skill. I do think it doesn't come naturally to some people. And I think the culture that we live in doesn't celebrate resting in the same way that it celebrates productivity and action and work. So yeah, I'm, I'm still working on, I'm working on that. And I'm hoping to get better at that. <laughs> yeah overachievers we have such a hard time with breaks like we don't like breaks at all we'll do whatever it takes not to take a break (laughs) yeah and i have a final question for you so if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self what would you want to tell her or if you want to tell her nothing at all it's an option as well oh i'd probably say buckle up (laughs) this is gonna be a wild ride i would say i think i would probably just let her know that it is it will work out because I think for a long time I let my sense of uncertainty really control uh, how I felt about the future whereas now I'm more like I don't know what's going to happen but I do believe that I will work it out and so I think I would say that and I would also probably share that you know just and this happens so much in people's lives when just when something really challenging happens you don't always have a lot of time to breathe before something else really challenging happens. And that can really take its toll on you. So I think I would probably say, you know, there's going to be lots of stuff back to back for a very prolonged period of time. But you will get through this. You will come out the other side and you will find a way to work it out. Because I feel like I'm there now. I feel like I'm the other side of the shit show. <laughs> That's how it feels. <laughs> Things are really different for me now. But yeah, I would say it will work out. So just keep that that faith, I suppose. So beautiful. I loved interviewing you today. <laughs> I love being here. Thank you. Awesome. And where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? So I'm at DIY with Emma on all social media channels and in particular the best place to find me at the moment is YouTube because that's my next big focus is trying to create long-form content that answers the needs of my audience so that's going to be I think the best place to to watch me grow next and you could be involved in it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.